Welcome to episode 72 of the Marketing Junkie podcast. Before I get started with today's episode, I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you if you're listening. And especially if you're one of those people who listen week after week to every single episode. Thank you so much. I've gotten some really sweet ratings and reviews lately. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I also wanted to remind you that the best way to show support for the show is to simply take a quick minute while you're listening to this introduction, pause, and you don't even have to pause. Actually, you can just do it while you're listening to the introduction, while I'm giving you a quick little history lesson. And wherever you're listening to the podcast, leave a rating interview. It helps so much more than you know. And I really appreciate it. And if you want any more marketing insight or information, just go to michellecarawana.com or follow me on Instagram. Both are linked in the show notes. All right. So considering two of my most downloaded episodes to this day are episodes 13, 13 marketing lessons to be learned from Taylor Swift and episode 39, four marketing lessons to be learned from Taylor Swift's surprise album drop, which was referring to folklore, actually her first of two surprise releases. I figured that today I would give you my take on business and marketing lessons we can all take away from Taylor Swift's album re-records, her second of which is coming this very week, and I'm so excited. But first, why am I doing this? What's the point of this episode? Well, In addition to being an obvious fan of her music, I've also just always felt very aligned with Taylor and her marketing efforts because we're the same age and her music really paralleled a lot of my own experiences. When Taylor released Fearless for the first time, for example, I was deep in the grips of my first love. And when Red came out, which is the re-record being released this week, I was going through the worst heartache of my life, just as she seemed to be doing at the time. And now, as she goes up against some of the prominent men in the music industry and fights for her rights to own her own work, it feels very reminiscent of what a lot of business owners, including myself, face in terms of bad contracts, collaborations that go awry, and copycats stealing our intellectual property, calling it their own, and unfortunately profiting from it. Now, speaking for myself, my issues in this space are obviously on a much smaller scale than what Taylor is facing, but it affects my day-to-day and every decision I make in my business nonetheless. So before I get into the marketing and business lessons, I wanted to give you a super brief explanation of why Taylor is re-recording and re-releasing all of her first six albums, just in case you're a little lost or you need some context or you think she's just in it to profit from releasing her work a second time. And if you already know this, you can skip forward a few times or even better, you can take this time to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. All right. So it all comes down to Taylor's right to own her own music. Like I said, She doesn't own the masters to her first six albums due to a contract she signed when she was just 15 years old and couldn't have anticipated the level of fame she would reach. Master recordings are the original recordings of musical works and typically labels own them as part of an artist's contract. Because Taylor doesn't own the the masters, it means that every time someone streams her first six albums, any profits from them don't go to her. And these streams are in the billions. They go to the owner of the masters. And 
While honestly, this is pretty standard of the music industry, so nothing groundbreaking here, this is a standard that Taylor wants to change. She believes in a creator's right to own their work, as do I. So Taylor Swift is re-recording those albums and releasing them as her own and calling them Taylor's version to create new versions, like I said, that she owns. They feature new cover art, newly recorded and refined vocals, and previously unreleased songs from her quote-unquote vault, which is basically songs that she wanted on the album, but the record label basically said no and made her make some cuts. So otherwise, these versions aren't all that different from the originals. They mainly exist to reclaim her music. And why is this so personal and important to her, you ask? Well, Taylor Swift's contract with Big Machine Records expired in 2018, and she wasn't able to buy back her own masters after her contract expired, despite her explicit wishes. And after that, Big Machine was sold off to Ithaca Holdings, owned by Scooter Braun, somebody that Taylor has an infamous relationship with, and her masters and subsequently her masters again, videos and artworks were again sold in October 2020, all against her wishes. And again, this is an industry standard that Taylor feels passionate about breaking, and she has a lot of artists on her side. Not having ownership of her masters means that Taylor doesn't have full control over her works. To give just one example, in November 2019, Swift accused Braun and the CEO of Big Machine Records of blocking her from performing her older songs at the 2019 American Music Awards and from using any old material in her 2020 documentary, Miss Americana. So this isn't just about profiting from streams of her own work. It's not just about the money. It's about having creative freedom moving forward as she continues to tour and would like very much to perform and use the songs she not only sung, but also wrote herself. All right, now that we got that little history lesson out of the way, let's talk about marketing and business lessons we can all learn from Miss Swift and her re-records. You're listening to the Marketing Junkie Podcast with me, your host, Michelle Caruana. I'm a corporate marketing nine-to-fiver turned brick-and-mortar business owner turned online entrepreneur, and growing businesses through smart and efficient marketing is kind of my thing. If you're like most business owners, you probably feel like you could overdose on all the different tactics out there, so I created this podcast to help you cut through the noise and the clutter and just get the clear actionable strategies based on what's working and what's not for both myself and my marketing clients. Tune in every week to learn exactly how to attract an audience and convert them into customers and raving fans. No fluff included. All right, let's kick things off with the first marketing lesson that we can learn from Taylor Swift's re-records. Number one, Be careful with any contract you enter into and who you associate yourself and your business with. Now, this one I'm sure was obvious based on what I just described about a contract Taylor Swift signed when she was just 15 years old. But what does this lesson mean for us as business owners? Well, I don't know about you, but I have certainly made mistakes with both entering contracts that had hidden clauses and weren't very favorable to me in the end and made mistakes with who I associated myself with. Back when I opened my brick and mortar indoor playground, for example, I signed a lease that was not only way too expensive, but had hidden clauses in it that I simply glossed over, some that even our attorney missed. And I made the mistake of putting complete trust and faith into our attorney. I didn't even read the entire thing myself. 
And here's something most people don't realize. Even good contracts entered into with bad people are still bad. So even if there were no hidden clauses, even if our attorney did an amazing job analyzing and making sure the contract was even keeled, if it's with bad people, it's still not going to work out for you for the better. For example, one of the clauses in my lease was that any maintenance issue must be fixed by the landlord and had to be dealt with within 24 hours. However, in practice, in the real world, this never happened. We went weeks with broken toilets or other issues, often having to spend our own money out of pocket just to get the issue resolved and our business back up and running. Our landlord would always kind of say, you know, what are you going to do? Take me to small claims court. And honestly, he was right. He knew that we were vulnerable. He knew that we signed a lease that was very expensive based on the assumption that we thought we wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff. And it cost me much less even though the number was well into the thousands, to spend my own money taking care of his contractual obligations than spend money trying to fight him in court, especially when that legal process takes months or years. And if you're a parent who's ever taking your children to any indoor entertainment facility, things like bathrooms, running water are essential and you cannot operate effectively without them, even at a limited capacity. Another example would be snow plowing. If you've ever spent winters in Western New York or anywhere in that realm, you'll know that snow plowing is essential to any business function. And it's also expensive when you have an extremely large parking lot like we did. And unfortunately, our contract said that every single day he was responsible for either plowing the parking lot himself or hiring out somebody to take care of that for us. And while he did do this, it often wasn't plowed until 1 or 2 p.m. well into our day. We were actually open from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. most days. So it was really kind of useless for us. And the reason that this happened is because he owned a restaurant next door who didn't open until the afternoon hour. So it worked out for him, but we would get tons and I mean dozens of complaints every single day of people not being able to get through the snow with their toddlers, not being able to push strollers, or God forbid, some people even fell on the ice. And that's something that we were responsible for. So even though it was in our contract, it was really hard to enforce. So keep an eye out for any of those really hard to enforce clauses and make sure you get as specific as you can with details like times, Dates, expectations of delivery, quality, all that good stuff. Another example is when we licensed our first indoor playground location. And I just trusted the person that we were going into the contract with. They were a friend. And I thought, you know, I don't need to get into too much too much detail with this contract because I really trust their vision and I really trust my brand in their hands. And unfortunately, because I didn't get as specific as I should have with the licensing agreement in terms of how to treat our pricing and birthday party package names and what could and could not be changed. Unfortunately, a lot of this was changed without our consent and it caused so much confusion between our two locations that were less than 30 miles apart. So a lot of people were frequenting both. It just got to be such a logistical nightmare and it was another huge source of complaints for us. So if I could go back, I would not only do a little bit more research into the background and the style and the vision of who I was entering into this licensing agreement with, but I would also protect my brand a lot more because it really does affect 
our home brand, our first location, it affected it so much that this other brand was so different. Now, before I do any sort of collaboration or partnership, which I honestly almost never do anymore because of my negative experiences, I spend the time and money making sure I am protected both financially, legally, and mentally because those two examples that I just described were so mentally taxing and they spanned years because this was a five-year lease contract. So especially if you're signing a long-term contract or partnership agreement or entering a business with a partner, you need to be really careful. And if you're looking for more examples of how this translates to an online business, I did a YouTube video. It's linked in the show notes with Braden Dake, and he shared some similar nightmare experiences he's had with partnerships in his online business. And being a lawyer, he is someone I really respect when it comes to this topic. So if you want some more examples of ways this can go awry, go watch that YouTube video after you wrap up this podcast. So the takeaway here is be very careful who you partner with and be very careful with what you sign, especially if you're just getting started in your career or business like Taylor Swift was when she signed her first contract. And especially when these contracts have long-term obligations, like Taylor Swift never having creative control or, or, or ownership over her first six albums, for example. All right, number two, repurposing content can still be meaningful and beneficial to your audience. So a lot of people, when Taylor Swift announced her re-records, were rightfully pretty skeptical. They were wondering what her plan was in terms of getting her audience re-interested in the same songs that they've already had access to now on every streaming platform. And as business owners, a lot of us face the same conundrum. I know for myself, for example, I have hundreds and hundreds of combined blogs, YouTube videos, podcasts, all with really valuable content inside that have really resonated with my audience over the years. One of my favorite strategies right now, and this was inspired in part by my friend Meg, is refreshing and repurposing this old content because my audience is always growing, right? Especially right now, my audience is facing a really steep increase, which I'm so excited about, but it just means that I have hundreds of backlogged videos and blogs that they're just never going to be able to get through. So I really feel no shame in refreshing and repurposing this old content. And it does have other benefits, which I'm going to get into in just a moment. So Again, not only does this serve the purpose of updating some old blog articles if there's updated information or if there are any new strategies to share with your audience, it also saves you a ton of time from creating brand new from scratch content. So what does this look like in real life? Well, the first thing that I'm doing is I'm going back and I'm updating all of my blog articles. So not only am I adding updated information, but I'm already I'm also adding any new takes that I have or any new experience or lessons that I've gained. gained. Something that I have learned over the years is that the best way to convey information to my audience is through telling stories, is not only through giving examples from my own experience, but also of the hundreds of owners I have in my indoor playground business group or marketing clients that I've worked with. It's all through storytelling. So back when I started my blog, I was very corporate. I was very professional. I said, here's this information, take with it what you will. And I was very black and white about it. But now I'm kind of going back and I'm updating these blogs with more stories and more 
ways that people can relate to them and more anecdotes. And I just feel like they're really more high quality overall, especially my earliest blog posts. And not only does this serve to make them more high quality content, but that there are also search engine optimization benefits because Google loves fresh content. And that's why I mentioned my friend Meg. It's because she is an SEO expert and she always recommends going back and refreshing your old content, putting new backlinks in there, making sure all of the links work, making sure all of the information is still accurate. Because again, Google and other search engines notice that this information is updated and they love fresh content and are more likely to promote it at the top of search results. And therefore, you're more likely to get this information that's newly updated in the hands of your audience and therefore more traffic to your website, more sales in your business, all that good stuff. So, so many benefits for the strategy. And then number two, I'm posting update podcasts and videos on topics that I've already covered. And the reason that I'm doing this and not just going back and updating the old versions is because with podcasting and YouTube, unfortunately, it's not like blogs. You can't just go back and make some tweaks or upload a new file, right? If you upload a new video or you delete a video from YouTube and re-upload it, it removes all of the past views. It removes all of the past comments, all of that great social proof that my videos that have been out there since 2018 have worked so hard to get. So I don't want to take away some YouTube videos that have tens of thousands of views. I'm just going to post a 2021 update video. So some examples of videos and podcasts that I'm doing update podcast episodes or videos on are how I feel about indoor playground franchises. What's working with Facebook ads right now as we head into 2022. Trends. I do a trend video every single year around December time for the indoor playground industry, just like I do with Facebook ads. So those are just three examples of update videos and podcasts that I'm working on. And what I do is I'll post the video or podcast and in the title, I'll write update or I'll write update for 2021 or 2022. And then I'll go back to the original video in case anyone finds the original that was published in 2018 or 2019. And I'll link to the updated video. So like at the very top of the description or the show notes, depending on the platform, I'll just write 2021 update video, and then I'll link to it in case anyone wants the most up-to-date information. The third thing that I'm doing and what you can do is take your best performing content and update it. So really go through all of your pieces of content, whether it's blogs, YouTube videos, podcasts, and rank it based on engagement, based on how many people are watching it, and set a realistic goal for updating it. So if people are still finding your video, if you're getting hundreds or thousands of views or listens on a blog or a YouTube video per week that really needs to be updated or maybe isn't your best work, put those as your top priorities and set a realistic goal of updating this content. So for example, my goal is to do one updated piece of content per week. Now I've been doing this for quite a while. At first I wasn't able to do it quite at that pace and I needed to do it a little bit slower because I was still working on batching new content, but prioritize your content based on how accurate it still is, based on how often people are still finding it, based on how much of a negative impact it could have on your business. If people are consuming this out of date or maybe less high quality content and rank them and then update those highest impact articles or blog articles or YouTube videos first. 
So here are two pages while you're doing this process that you can take from Taylor's book on this topic of repurposing and re-releasing old content. Number one, refresh it. So for example, Taylor has new cover art, new songs, and little musical and lyrical changes that her fans absolutely went wild for. So when you're updating your content, like I said, add something that makes it fresh, updated information, new strategies, new tools, add some better imagery. I know looking at the stock photos that I was using from my first couple blog articles were absolutely horrendous. So I'm going back and updating them with some professional photos that I've had taken lately because people are still finding this and they're finding me for the first time through this information. So I want to make sure I'm putting my best foot forward. And as I'm working on some of my old podcast episodes, I'm kind of working on tweaking the introductions because as you guys know, I rebranded my podcast back in 2020. So some of them have inconsistent introductions and some of the links are broken. So I'm going back and not only am I doing update episodes, but I'm kind of going back through the old show notes and through all those old episodes and making sure all of the ads and all of the links and all of the introductions are very consistent Again, in case somebody finds me for the first time through one of these old episodes, I want to make sure that it's cohesive with my current brand. And then number two, the second tip that you can take from Taylor is remember, you've likely grown since you put out your original piece of content. So even if you aren't making any groundbreaking updates, even if you don't have any new hot takes or new strategies to share, maybe you've just grown as a writer or maybe your videos are much higher quality now. Again, Taylor made a few small vocal and lyrical updates and her voice just sounds so much better because she has more experience as she's older and her fans absolutely loved these new songs, even the ones that were very similar to her originals. So even if you don't have any groundbreaking updates, this is still a strategy that you can implement easily and can be really effective. All right, moving on. Number three, it's okay to make mistakes. Admit acknowledge them and move on. Now, there are so many lyrical and visual references to Taylor's disdain for Big Machine Records and their CEO, from the stolen lullabies lyric in My Tears Ricochet to her being constantly trapped in a cage throughout Reputation and other albums. But I want to just read you a few lines, if you'll indulge me, from an Evermore bonus track called It's Time to Go, because I think it really drives this point and this lesson home. So in this song, Taylor says, 15 years, 15 million tears, begging till my knees bled. I gave it my all. He gave me nothing at all, then wondered why I left. Now he sits on his throne in his palace of bones, praying to his greed. He's got my past frozen behind glass, but I've got me. So here, Taylor is basically saying, yeah, I made a mistake with that contract. I signed something I shouldn't have with somebody I shouldn't have. And now my masters are basically being passed around between these big, powerful men in the music industry that she has very infamously toxic relationships with. She acknowledged that mistake. She played by the rules of her contract and she fulfilled her her duties on her end, which I think is really important. She did not break her contract. She really moved forward with integrity. And yeah, her past is frozen behind that glass of her contract. She does not own and cannot own her first six original albums. But the important thing she calls to attention here is that they don't and can't own her. 
They don't own her mind. They don't and can't own her voice. And by the way, another little clever Easter egg that I think Taylor planted while she was in the throes of the original legal battle with Big Machine Records is she was actually the Little Mermaid for Halloween that year, a Disney character who quite literally had her voice stolen. But anyway, she wrote these songs and came up with those words and those chords. And as soon as she was contractually allowed to, she used that power to simply recreate her old classics her way, ways that she wasn't able to previously under her contract, under the direction of Big Machine Records. So the lesson here is that even if you get roped into a bad partnership and you're facing some losses, or even if someone rips off your work or mimics what you do, they aren't you. Your audience wants you. That's the great thing about being a consultant or a content creator or an expert. We are all so different and we all bring different styles, different perspectives, and different experiences to the table. So even if someone is teaching or providing services for your exact same topic, you can't and won't teach the same topics the same way. I have to remind myself of this all the time. I have to be completely honest that even if there are other people doing exactly what you want to do, there is still room for you because you are unique and no one can steal or replicate that. And Taylor Swift is very smart. She knows that. She knew if she admitted her mistake to her fans and let them in on the situation, they would re-download and rebuy her new, refreshed, and updated content because her fans are hers. She spent so many years building a relationship with them that they will quite literally follow her anywhere like myself. So work on building that same relationship and trust with your audience, and no one will ever be able to copy or steal from your work or steal any of your fans. Now, I just want to end with one final tip that I have taken away from this whole re-record saga, and that brings us to number four. It's okay to make waves and shake up industry standards. A lot of times as content creators or business owners, we hear, You must do this or you must do that to be successful. You have to sell on a webinar or you have to be on YouTube or you have to create Instagram reels to grow an audience. But something I always try to remember is that every business and every creator is unique. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. It's okay to go against the grain of what the gurus are saying. And if something works for you, if you find a new approach, Don't be afraid to teach it or do it, even if someone you admire and look up to says to do the opposite. We don't need to follow these gurus or these experts in black and white terms. We can pick and choose the strategies that work for us. When I put these podcast episodes together, I try to give my recommendations and give you all the information based off off of exactly what's working for myself and for my clients at that time but I try to never dictate or preach strategies at you or give advice in black and white. I try to give you the information so you can take what you want from the episodes and really make it your own and run with it. And speaking of, I would love to know what one little takeaway you had from this episode or one thing you wrote down to do after this episode ends, whether it's updating an old video, going back and fixing backlinks, creating a schedule to update some old blogs, or Maybe it's just having a different reaction next time you feel like someone is mirroring or copying you. Feel free to message me on Instagram. My profile is in the show notes or leave your takeaway in a written review on iTunes. 
I can't wait to connect with you and see what you are going to accomplish. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Again, if you enjoyed it, please feel free to leave a written review on iTunes. I appreciate it so much. And if you're looking for more marketing lessons that you can learn from Taylor Swift, everything from Easter eggs to surprising and delighting her fans to over-delivering to leaving us all of these surprises on her new albums, go back and listen to episodes 13 and 39, where I really get into all of those little marketing gems that I've really admired from her past. All right, have a great day. I will see you guys here next week. And don't forget to listen to Red Taylor's version as it's released this week. Have a great day, guys.